Today we get caught up on industry issues that are important to us as ranchers. Russell Nimitz with the Western Ag Network joins me. We're going to discuss some of the issues like what are the focal points be in the upcoming 2023 Farm Bill to beef labeling rules, animal disease traceability regulations, and how those two last issues tie back to a hot topic right now, which is BSE in Brazil. Plus, the response he got on the BSE issue from his exclusive interview with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. In a nutshell, Shell, he said, we have to remember that this was an atypical case of BSC. And while you may not be thrilled with that response, Russell and I talk it out and how it relates back to the labeling and traceability topics on today's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome back. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you joining us here on our program. For those of you that are out busy this time of the year with calving season, things getting going, we hope things are going well. It's definitely been a little bit tenuous with the weather that we've seen across many portions of the country. We'll talk with meteorologist Don Day later on in our show about what he anticipates for upcoming weather, not only as we finish out the month of March, but also what the month of April is tentatively looking like as well and also giving us a update on La Nina as it is quickly fading and we'll hear more from him about that but we're glad to have you joining us here on our program today. Today I'm going to be joined by a longtime friend of mine Mr. Russell Nimitz. He's with the Western Ag Network as they provide uh, farm and ranch news both through radio and television to uh, folks in many different states here in the west 72 radio stations across the country that they do that for and I'm going to be visiting with him. Really we're going to be going over a myriad of topics that I think are very relevant to those of us in the ranching industry, just things that we really do need to be aware of. Sometimes we can get real wrapped up and busy in what we're doing that we don't know uh, what's all going on. And of course, this time of the year, (laughs) we're plenty busy, no doubt. But we're going to be talking on what's going to be coming up in the 2023 Farm Bill. A lot of the industry groups are working on that and trying to get positioned into things that uh, will be beneficial to us here in the ranching industry. Also, we're going to be talking uh, beef labeling rules animal disease traceability and also the big issue of BSE in Brazil and as I said in the opening how those two topics of labeling and traceability have some tie back into that and so we're going to be talking with Russell on that I appreciate him joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Real quick before we get too far I do want to thank our sponsor of this segment the American Simmental Association and with some fundamental changes that they have brought to the table really trying to pursue helping ranchers move their operations forward with pedigree knowledge and performance records and now very advanced genomics which is a topic we've covered extensively here on the Working Ranch radio show. All of this to provide predictability to you the producers so that you can make very good management decisions to increase profitability. SimGenetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org Well the latest edition of the Working Ranch magazine has went to print. In fact it's off the press if I'm not mistaken should be showing up in your mailbox soon and the captain Tim O'Byrne took a little break from that but he is back now and here's this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey Justin, hey everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Justin, this is kind of close to home for you. Hundreds of pronghorn antelope have suddenly died in western Wyoming and wildlife officials say a rare disease is to blame. In a matter of weeks, starting in mid-February of this year, an estimated 200 pronghorn have died due to pneumonia brought on by Mycoplasma bovis, a disease typically associated with cattle, the state game and fish department said in a March 8th news release. Now, Justin, I had to actually consult our very own Working Ranch Magazine Cattle Care Catalog that we feature in the September-October issue every year to find out what what mycoplasma bovis was. I mean, I I should have remembered, but I didn't. And it kind of helped me figure out what was going on here. So this is very interesting. Justin, maybe you can keep us updated uh, down the road as to how this happened and what precautions we can take to make sure it doesn't happen again. Back to you in the booth. All right. Thanks, Captain. And you know something else to make matters even worse in light of that disease issue that they're dealing with. It has also been a severely 
tough winter for Southern Wyoming and uh, other parts of the country, kind of that swath of uh, the, if you look from North to South and, the, and through Nebraska and uh, parts of Idaho as well, very tough winter. And I know that's not very conducive to wildlife health as well. So some very daunting stories and pictures that I've seen in regards to the weather and how that's been uh, affecting our the wildlife population. So we'll kind of keep watching that as well. Well, a moment ago, I was touching a little bit on the fact that it is a busy time of the year for a lot of us in the cattle industry. Uh, for some, you've been calving for a while. For others, maybe you're just getting ready. I know we're about three weeks out from getting the ca- uh, heifer started calving. But, you know, when it comes to this time of the year, good nutrition is pretty, uh, pretty important, whether you're in third trimester or whether that cow has calved and you're looking at trying to get her rebred back uh, and ready to go for the next year. And at New Generation Supplements, it's pretty simple. They have a tub for that. Now, I don't say that because they have just a set of generic tubs. They have over 2,000 dealerships across the U.S. and Canada, and they know that raising cattle in uh, different parts of the country, whether you're in West Texas or up in South Dakota or or, uh, down in Missouri and various places, they have over 70 unique formulas between their three livestock brands, and you might know them as Smart Lick or Feed in a Drum or Mega Lick. And between those three products, they have supplements uh, that will help these mother cows get back ready to go in in tip-top shape so that they can be ready to breed back because really that early breed back is important. You get a cow bred back 20 to th- uh, 15 to 20 days sooner, that could be anywhere from 20 to 30 pounds heavier of a calf. So it is important that if you want a strong, healthy calf, a strong, healthy mother, it's pretty simple. Stop by your uh, new generation supplements dealer. As I said, three different types of brands out there from Smart Lick to Feed in a Drum to Mega Lick, New Generation Supplements. We've got a tub for that. Find out more at NewGenSupplements.com. Well, stay with us. When we come back, Russell Nimitz with the Western Ag Network joins me as we talk some of the issues that are out in the world of the ranching industry. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. You know, big cows come with big feed bills, which is why smart genetic selection can pay off in your cow herd. Did you know Simmental-influenced cows are an average 74 pounds lighter at maturity than Angus-sired counterparts, according to a recent U.S. Meat Animal Research Center study? Now, while Simmental is sized for more efficient gains, 20-year genetic trend lines also show the breed offers reliable calving ease, early growth, and cow longevity. That's a balanced herd built for profit. Sim Genetics, giving you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you joining us on our program today as we head now into our featured interview. And joining me for this this week is my longtime friend of mine, Mr. Russell Nimitz with the Western Ag Network. Russell, thanks for joining us here today. Absolutely, Justin. Pleasure to be with you, friend. Well, I, I appreciate you taking some time. I know you're on vacation down in the southern part of the country. And as, as Don Day and I have talked on a weekly basis, uh, a lot of folks usually head south to get away from the cold weather, but it hasn't necessarily been as warm as you would normally see down there. Yeah, that's true. And I'm choosing my words very carefully with you today, because even though it's not exactly as warm as it's typically this time of the year here in Arizona, it's still a little bit nicer than up in your neck of the woods back home in Wyoming and in my home state of Montana. But yeah, I mean, as you and I have been visiting, this weather system has just been kind of crazy since the first of the year. And even down here in the Sun Belt, I mean, for Arizona, we come down here uh, a lot and we've been down here a lot during this time of the year. And, you know, typically it could be in the 80s and 90s and and for the past week down here, I mean, it's been high 60s, uh, low 70s, which, again, feels pretty good compared <laughs> to what it's been like back home. Well, I part of the reason I wanted to visit with you and, and kind of catch up with you is, is for several reasons. And we're going to get into this. I know recently you were able to sit down with uh, uh, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack, and I want to talk a little bit about how that conversation went. And I do realize that some of the topics that you addressed with him are really the, some of the same things that we're going to be talking about here today but I know that you you know you're out there covering a lot of the 
ags, uh, the news stories that are out there from a day-to-day basis with the Western Ag Network. And so I, I felt it was appropriate that we just step back a little bit from some of the drive of some of the programs that we've had here on the Working Ranch radio show that we kind of get an update on what's really happening uh, in in back in D.C. and and some of the other issues. And one of the things I guess we'll just start right off on the top. And I realize, as I said before, some of your conversation with Secretary Vilsack had some of these things in there. But right now, I know there's a lot of conversation going on about what's going to be in the 2023 Farm Bill. Now, in the 2018, we saw a lot of safety net programs, farm loans, an increase in concert, uh, in CRP acres. But there was disaster assistance that really, from the ranchers' side of things, uh, there was a lot of things in there for ranchers. When you see the 2023 Farm Bill being looked at right now from the ranching perspective, what are some of the big issues that are, are going to be in there or, or being considered in there? Well, as you know, Justin, I mean, the livestock industry typically um, doesn't like to go to Washington, D.C., and and ask for any help uh at all but unfortunately the <clears throat> the challenges that mother nature and old man winter have have dealt us these past few years and whether it's you know late spring snowstorms or what other wildfires or things like that i mean we've had to go to washington dc and, and ask for help just like some of our friends in the farming industry when when natural disasters strike to, to try to get us a little bit of help so i mean what you mentioned i mean Disaster assistance is definitely a high priority, I think, with uh, the livestock industry and the different uh, cattle organizations and, and sheep industry and, and you name it. I mean, just making sure that those lawmakers go into this with a clear mind, you know, just, you know, understanding that, you know, our our livelihoods still truly depend on being able to stay on the land with our animals and, and raise a, a healthy food product for them. Uh, despite what Mother Nature uh, deals us. So I think that's a big priority with, you know, these different groups that we've we've met with and we've covered this year. Um, but the other big topic that I've heard a lot about, whether it was at, you know, the American Sheep Industry Association Convention or uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention just a few weeks ago, I mean, is is conservation. And unlike the old days, um, and you mentioned like CRP, where where like the Conservation Reserve Program took working lands out of production, set them aside in in the area of conservation. There is a lot of focus um, with this administration, with this USDA administration, to keep more of those working lands, those ranch lands, actually in production and, and keeping animals on them, all while in the flavor of conservation, but also you know, allowing us to keep ranching. Mm-hmm. I know one of the issues that came out when when the new administration uh, took over was the 30 by 30. Is there elements of that push uh, going to be implemented in this 23 farm bill? Of course, we got a different control of the house now. So I think there's some things that can or can't happen with that. But uh, any any talk in that? I know that that's that was a big issue uh, here in the in the countryside. Well, it is a scary deal. I mean, uh, 30 by 30, um, I think the, the real name was, um, what was it, the America's Great Outdoors Act or something like that. I mean, you know, the politicians, uh, the leaders that we elect have, a, have a, a very unique way of renaming controversial issues out here to kind of pull the wool over a lot of folks' eyes. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we would be naive to think that um, given everything that's going on with this current administration, um, that they might try to not slip something like that in, you know, a big ginormous piece of legislation like the farm bill. And, you know, that is scary. I mean, especially out here in the West where, you know, a lot of ranchers still utilize uh, America's public lands and America's federal lands uh, for their way of life. So yeah, I mean, groups like farm bureau, I mentioned like, you know, NCBA, U.S. Cattlemen's Association, RCAP USA, ASI, you name them. I mean, they're obviously wanting to work with this administration and the new lawmakers and on the new farm bill, but they're also very um, weary and, and also, you know, watching with a very careful eye about things that could be slipped into that legislation like the 30 by 30, because let's face it, I mean, you and I both know, and your listeners are very well aware that the farm bill 
actually means very, very little in terms of dollars to the actual farmers and ranchers on the ground. I mean, the majority of this ginormous piece of legislation actually goes towards, you know, food nutrition programs like Meals on Wheels, uh, the USDA um, school lunch program, uh, WIC, you know, women, infants, and children. But the smallest amount of dollars actually goes to on-the-ground farmers and ranchers. And then when they work this through Congress, the scary part is, even in get, in today's environment, these lawmakers, especially those new ones that were just elected last November, have a crazy way of like funneling in things that mean absolutely nothing to the farm bill mm -hmm. just to get them through, you know? So, I mean, you did... It's just really important, more so than ever, that people on the ground, farmers and ranchers, you know, be in touch with their lawmakers and their representatives and their U.S. senators and making sure that they understand what needs to be in that farm bill so that we can have a meaningful farm legislation moving forward for the next five years. Mm -hmm. As you talk about that, yeah, I was looking at uh, some of the recent numbers. I think 85 percent of the farm bill is pretty much a nutrition program. And I know there's that has always been an issue uh, for a lot of us in the ag industry kind of struggling with that a little bit because they call it the farm bill but there's a lot of it that has more to do with uh, non-farmers than than it does with us as ranchers and farmers here in the industry when you talk about that too one of the things that i keep hearing a little little bit about it as well is there is there going to be some push through what they're going to term as food safety and things that could affect us as ranchers well i mean SDA has been working, you know, more so than ever very closely with uh, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA on a, on a lot of different issues here of late. And I would have to say that, you know, they're going to be working more closely on food safety issues. And I mean, which isn't a bad thing as long as they don't regulate us to death out here in the countryside, right? Yeah. I mean, that's always the scary part about anything that comes out of our, our nation's capital is like they have a lot of great ideas, but unfortunately, a lot of them always have big, bad regulations tied to the actual on the ground food producer. And it, we're already regulated to death. Let's face it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I mean, there's no rancher or farmer out here that, that doesn't want our food to be safe and, and doesn't want to go the extra mile to making sure that it is isn't safe but you know it's just my opinion but we're already doing a pretty darn good job out yeah. here and our food is safe mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point i think that's been part of our issue that we felt here on the countryside is we feel like we're doing trying to do a really good job of having a safe product so real quick i want to go back to just a couple things i, I mentioned a little bit ago 85 percent of the farm bill is in nutrition that is in the projected in the 2023 i think it was 76 percent in the 2018 farm bill i just want to touch on one more thing before we head to break here real quick because i think the one part of the farm bill and you and i talked a little bit about it was disastrous Assistance. There's still some uh, some push to keep some of that available. I mean, because we're still coming out of a drought situation. That was where a lot of that uh, went into. And so you feel like that's going to stay pretty solid. I do. And you know what? There is a real good friend and a real good ally within the USDA right now in the Farm Service Agency Administrator, uh, Zach Ducheneau, who's yeah, um, out of South Dakota. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just... Um, my broadcast partner, Lane Northland, and I just actually met with him a couple weeks ago down in Orlando at the Commodity Classic. And Zach truly is a real friend to those of us out here in agriculture. And um, we had a really good visit with him. And he reassured us and our listeners and our viewers that, yes, I mean, he understands the situations that are faced as a rancher himself. And uh, he told us that he is you know, encouraging all farmers and ranchers to get into their local FSA office and NRCS office and and just visit with those those local personnel about all the different disaster programs that USDA has to offer. Um, you know, a lot of them can still be signed up retroactively from a year or two ago. And, you know, a lot of folks just haven't even got in there to do that. And it's just, you know, there are deadlines coming up that need to be met, but to your point, yes. I mean, um, you know, there's going to be disaster assistance uh, within that new farm bill, and there's already disaster assistance as part of the old farm bill, and then just other ad hoc type programs that have, you know, been implemented from the previous administration and this administration to help 
farmers and ranchers deal with uh, the natural disasters that we've had to face for the past several years. You bet. Russell Nimitz is my guest. He is with the Western Ag Network. We are talking some of the big issues, uh, just talking about the upcoming 2023 Farm Bill. When we come back, we're going to talk more. Uh, There's other things. We've got BSE in Brazil, beef labeling rules, and also I want to pick his brain a little bit about his conversation that he had recently with Secretary of Agriculture, Mr. Tom Vilsack. So we're going to be back with Russell when we return here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Russell Nimitz with the Western Ag Network, long friend of mine for many years. I appreciate him taking the time during his vacation to join us here this week as we talk on issues. If you missed the previous uh, segment, we were talking a little bit about what he believes will be some of the topics in the 2023 Farm Bill. As we know, for those of us in the ranching industry, it's typically uh, not something that uh, has huge, huge implications to us, but it did when it comes to disastrous. And I think there's several folks that had uh, that utilized that here in the last several years. Russell, I want to get into some more uh, current topics a little bit. Um, uh, let's let's just jump right in. I know BSE in Brazil has, is a big topic. I know a lot of the industry groups that represent us as ranchers in the in the industry out here pretty much kind of baseline along the same same ideas, <laughs> wanting to get that shut down. And I know it's uh, it's a Senate Bill 480 or something like that. I believe it's it's already went to committee, which is concerning because it's in com- sitting in committee. Where are we at with that issue, uh, BSC in Brazil? I know that's a real concern. Oh boy, I tell you, if you want to open up a can of worms, <laughs> just uh, bring that one up. And and you're right. I know there is legislation um, moving through Congress, and and you're way more on top of it than I am. I didn't even, I, I couldn't have said if it was in committee or not. But I know, you know, a big piece of legislation was sponsored by um, Montana Senator John Tester mm-hmm. and South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds to try to put the brakes on what's going on down in in Brazil right now with their you know, they're cases of, of BSE. Now, a lot of folks are quick to point out that it's an atypical case of BSE, which means it's not necessarily um, derived from a bad feed source or whatever it might be. But yeah, there's a, you know, the industry up here at home, the, a lot of farm state senators and representatives are, are on the same page um, when it comes to this issue. And it's it's a big one. And it's not very often that you get the major cattle organizations all on the same page, but this is certainly one of them that they are. I mean, with NCBA and U.S. Cattlemen's Association and RCAF USA all beating to the same drum on this one. And, and rightfully so. I mean, there's a lot of concern about what's going on down in Brazil when it comes to their domestic beef herd and then, you know, being processed into beef um, down there and then being shipped up into this country as, as fresh beef. Um, and then ultimately getting, you know, sold with our high quality product at our grocery stores that we know there's no BSE, right? So, I mean, it truly is a big, big issue. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the, the the point of that issue, I mean, everybody's in agreement on, on that issue in terms of the fact of really wanting to see those at this point in time to see those imports stopped. And a little bit of a puzzle to me a bit, and maybe and partly because I don't know the complete process probably of what goes on. But is there a reason why they just couldn't have stopped it or, or whether it was through, a, you know, Secretary of Ag or, or whether it was through President Biden that they they just couldn't halt that for a period of time and why it had to go through legislation or has to go through legislation? Well, that's a big, that's a good question. And it was a question that I asked just a few days ago when I had an exclusive interview with uh, Secretary Vilsack at Commodity Classic there in Orlando. And I was very careful about, <laughs> you know, being in the news business as long as I have. I mean, when you get these exclusives, I mean, you know, I mean, we were obviously at a farming event. And so I, you know, I kind of teed up the interview uh, based around a lot of farming, farming questions. And then, but man, when I had that opportunity to sit down with them, 
every bone in my body told me that I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't yeah. ask this BSE question. I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go, go because, I mean, he has been in the radar and USDA has been in the radar from, you know, the, the legislative branch and a lot of folks here at home of why hasn't USDA just stepped in and, and put the brakes on. Mm-hmm. And basically that was the question I asked. Well, it was one of my last questions because I wasn't sure if he was going to get up and just walk <laughs> out on me. But, but no, I mean, the thing with Vilsack is he's, he is a very, very good politician. And he's been around the block a lot. And, you know, this isn't his first time as Secretary of Agriculture. This isn't his first rodeo. And before this, you you know, he was governor of Iowa and, 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 and so on. But his, when I asked him the question, why hasn't USDA just said, whoa, let's just pump the brakes. Let's just even just halt them just for the time being, not permanently but even just you know temporarily put the brakes on in a nutshell he said we have to remember that this was an atypical case of bsc that was his that's how he started his answer and then he's like we have to be careful about what we ask for you know and and i was like well, what do you mean by that and he's like well remember that you know this country had a case of atypical BSE. And so basically his response to me was, if we expect Brazil to follow through with what we want them to do and and we do this to them, then who's to say that other countries around the world won't do that to us should we have another case of atypical BSE here at home mm-hmm. when it comes to exporting our high quality beef around the world. Mm-hmm. So now, I don't know if that makes sense at all, Justin, yeah. but that I said it a lot faster, maybe <laughs> not as clear as he did, but that was basically is his answer. You know, we, you know, we just have to be very, we're walking a very delicate line of, of saying woe to Brazil with their situation down there when that situation could still happen here at home and then expect the rest of the world to still take our high quality beef, Mm -hmm. but not letting their beef come in. Now, I think the bigger question was, why did it take so long for Brazil to report this case and a few others in the past when other countries around the world are reporting their cases of BSE, whether normal or atypical or whatever in between a lot faster. And so, I mean, I think that's, Another question that didn't quite get answered is the shadiness going on with the Brazilian government and the World Health Organization about the reporting time frame. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, well, and as you were talking about his response, I think he probably could have summed it up as people that live in glass houses don't throw stones probably would be maybe, yeah, maybe that's, the, a little bit of that. But, you know, it also brings to light two other big issues and we can't get go down the full details of each, but I do know this is where some of our industry groups sort of differ a little bit. Uh, we've got two big issues that are out there right now. Beef labeling rules and animal disease traceability regulations. Now those regulations, USDA have proposed those, those are out. In fact, I think public comments is is ending uh, this week here, because this week coming up. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about that and on the animal disease traceability regulations, because when you talk to other folks in the industry, they say, okay, if we want to be able to, to be able to handle, should something, we have some sort of an outbreak, we need to be able to close that door quickly where that's at so that it doesn't hurt the rest of our industry. What are you hearing on animal disease traceability regulations? Well, I think the industry's on board, Justin. I mean, uh, you know, from all the different livestock groups that are, are out there representing their members, I mean, yeah, I mean, each one of them might want a little bit different thing or, you know, this tweak here and that tweak there. But I think everybody's on the same page when it comes to things like BSC or like foot and mouth disease or in the swine industry, African swine fever, you know? So, I mean, I think everybody is, is on board with these rules and regulations and protocols that will be in place, you know, from USDA down to our, our state departments of agriculture and departments of livestock and what we can do with our local veterinarians and, and so forth should, you know, one of these disastrous animal diseases 
come to light, how to kind of nip it in the bud, do what needs to be done to uh, contain it without affecting the entire animal food chain. Mm -hmm. And I think a good example of states working with the federal government over the years on something like this has been back home in our neck of the woods, Justin, like in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, when it comes to the the brucellosis issue that, that we've faced in the cattle industry in the greater Yellowstone area for all these years, right? I mean, it wasn't too many years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a case of brucellosis would just have devastated, you know, the the cattle industries in those three states. But, you know, the three states figured out how to come up with their own plans, how to work with the federal government on this particular animal disease issue, how to really work with the local ranchers. And now we've got these, you know, designated surveillance areas when it comes to like brucellosis that when there's, I mean, Nobody even bats an eye now when there's a case of brucellosis or there's not a fear in the world that it's going to disrupt the cattle industry or turn it upside down. And, you know, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, moving forward with some of the things that we've been visiting with, whether it's FMD or African swine fever or BSE can follow some, some similar plans that we've pretty well molded and, and implemented back home. Mm-hmm. So let's let's hit the other issue with this a little bit. It's somewhat tied to this. I think there's, uh, the, and that's the beef labeling rules. Uh, there's some modifications to some of that. I know, again, we have some uh, different industry groups have some different things that they'd like to see in some of that, but I know there's, there's some effort there to, to try to close some of these loopholes that are in that. What are you hearing on the beef labeling rules? Well, I mean, if there's an issue that's divided the cattle industry, it is it is mandatory country of origin labeling, right? I yeah, mean, let's just yeah. throw it out there. I mean, you can draw a line right down the middle and half the industry will support it, half the industry won't. And so I think that's pretty much where it stands today. I think in principle, a lot of folks are, are all in agreement that why can't we label our beef and why can't we label these other proteins and why can't we label all of our food products? products as product of the USA and 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 they're right we probably should be able to but then there's the other side that says well we can go along with that but what about the added costs in doing so and then because unfortunately when there's added costs there's there's it always gets trickled down to the the on the ground producer is who picks up those costs, you know, and that means less money being paid for those calves or those lambs. So I get it. I I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, they just came out with the new rules for the product of the the USA label just a a few days ago. And boy, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks on board with it and, and, and consumers, you know, say they're on board with it, but I guess time will tell to see if, when it comes down to dollars and cents, if product of the USA means it's going to cost more at the grocery store in the meat shelf, will they actually follow through with that? Or was that just, you know, something they said they would? Yeah. Well, and, and I know you and I were working together covering, covering this issue a long time ago, and it's been an issue, mandatory country of origin labeling or that desire to see that happen for a long, long time. And I guess the, one of the issues I had years ago with it, again, as you, you pointed out precisely, that the industry as a whole probably has no problem on principle with it. I was concerned years ago, as you said, pointed a little bit ago about the cost being handed down to the to us as ranchers here in the countryside. I feel like our industry's really made a big shift, though, and we've seen more, uh, more desire for really the consumer to be willing to pay for that. And so I I guess I see the beef labeling rules being a little bit more uh, a doable thing and not really being something that would be handed down to the producer as as much. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think given what's going on with a lot of what we've talked about today in in the area of animal disease and more so than ever, and it was amplified tremendously during the COVID pandemic that consumers really do want to know where their food and fiber is coming from. And on top of that, um, at least for the time being, I mean, farmers and ranchers have to ride this wave um, for as long as they can. They want to have a deeper relationship with their food producer. And so I don't know. I mean, it seems like the tide has turned and there's a lot of momentum for 
for this product of the USA label. So hopefully, I mean, this time around, the USDA has worked with the different organizations in, in writing the rules so that this time around, if it will comply with the WTO and not be in violation of anything there. And I guess we'll just see where it goes. You bet. Russell Nimitz with Western Ag Network is my guest today. We've got one more segment with him. Uh, I wanted to visit with him a little bit more about his conversation that he had recently, an exclusive interview with Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. We're going to talk about that a little bit when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Keep your cow-calf herd data in a notebook. Keep it in the cloud with Performance Ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes. Performance Ranch is an easy-to-use app that simplifies record-keeping and makes decision-making easier. Keep track of herd inventory, monitor health records, and manage costs all from your iPad or iPhone. Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Russell Nimitz with the Western Ag Network. We've been talking issues. The first segment, we were talking about the upcoming 2023 Farm Bill. Uh, in the last segment, we were talking BSE in Brazil, label, beef labeling rules, and animal disease traceability regulations. So if you missed it, uh, you want to go back and listen to that, you can go to workingranchradio.com and you can find our podcast site there and download this episode and go back and take a listen to some of those issues. Uh, Russell, I want to get now, and you talked about it just a little bit ago. You had an exclusive interview with Secretary of Agriculture, Mr. Tom Vilsack. And of course, as, as you and I both know, a lot of folks do know, he uh, is not his first time through there in that office. He was through there before. And so one of the things, as, as you sat down with him from a ranching perspective, I know so much of what uh, you were visiting with him on that exclusive interview was at the Commodity Classic, which is a farming uh, a show. But at the same time, what's your take with him in in terms of being secretary of agriculture in this environment that we are now in 2023 here and just representing that industry but yet in a an environment that has a lot of <laughs> policy or <laughs> drive that's maybe yeah. always puts farmers and ranchers in crosshairs <laughs> Yeah, go ahead and just say it, Justin. Just say. It. I'm trying <laughs> just, to be just very tell diplomatic. Tell us what's on your mind. I mean, you're you're a silver-tongued little devil. You know, I mean, uh, you can do it. Um, no, I, I totally get your question. And one thing about Bill Sack is this isn't his first rodeo. And and even as you know, a lot of folks maybe are on the other political side of the fence. There is something to be said about the man's experience with representing farmers and ranchers, whether it was during his time as governor in Iowa or his first stint as secretary of ag under president Obama to, to right now, there is something to be said about his leadership and the respect that folks have for him in rural America. I mean, he think about, think about being in his shoes. You know, he has to do what the president of the United States wants him to do. Right. And so, and I ended my interview with him, you know, even asking him all those questions and then the very final ones about, you know, BSE in Brazil and then what's he going to do to help stop devastating wildfires out here in the West. I mean, the two final questions weren't exactly easy ones for him to answer. But I wrapped it up by just saying, you know, I mean, folks, there is no bigger advocate in rural America than Tom Vilsack. And and I truly believe that. And, and when, it, when it comes down to it, Secretary Vilsack, does have a lot of experience and I I want to think that he has a lot of clout in those cabinet meetings you know as he's sitting in the same room as the president of the United States as he's sitting in the same room as those other cabinet members like Department of Interior Department of Treasury uh, EPA you know so I want to say that you know even though his his philosophical um, policies might not totally align with a lot of us that hopefully at the end of the day, he does what's right 
for rural America. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you were talking about that, I guess a couple thoughts came to my mind. One, first, as you were talking about that was cat on a hot tin roof, which you're <laughs> continuing to <laughs> <That's right. laughs> what I feel like maybe he has to do. But I, I, I thought about this and I hadn't thought about it till you were talking about it was maybe in some ways I, I realized that the, uh, you know, the agenda that this administration has, it was sometimes probably a lot of us in rural America will struggle with a little bit. There's a huge, huge push on climate, implementing a climate agenda in this and down and pushing that down in through the farm bill or other different policies. And I wonder sometimes if in some in some ways is is he's not serving as more of a buffer. So because if we didn't have that buffer, what would we be dealing with? Well, absolutely right. I mean, and just to touch on that climate smart stuff, I mean, I don't know what it means. And like, and I've asked hundreds of farmers and ranchers in the past several weeks, what does it mean? Because whether it's Vilsack or some of his undersecretaries, they all talk about it. And and if you kind of read between the lines, I'm not sure they know what it means, but they what they do know is there's literally billions and billions of dollars set aside that's been allocated that is there for farmers and ranchers to get into their local USDA service center and ask questions and at least start the applications because it's there. And a lot of times what we're already doing, you know, qualifies for some of these new climate smart technology. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I I think Vilsack, like I said, I mean, if nothing else serves as a good buffer with some of his other cabinet members that are heading up some of these other agencies that they're pretty green to the whole process, you know, and one that comes to mind is like the EPA and, and waters of the U S I mean, what a disaster mm-hmm. that thing is. And a lot of folks thought WOTUS was put to bed under the Trump administration. And now it's been put back to life under the Biden administration. It started in the Obama administration. It's, and it, if that thing goes the way the EPA and the president wants it to go, it would be devastating mm-hmm. to America's farmers and ranchers, especially out here in the West where all the water originates. Mm-hmm. Well, Russell, I want to thank you for joining us here today. We've covered a lot of different topics that I think are, are very important to those of us here in the ranching industry. And I believe it's important we don't just stick our head in the sand on this and working out in the countryside. We often get consumed, especially this time of the year with calves hitting the ground and so forth. So again, I appreciate you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show as you take time out of your busy vacation. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a lazy river and a water slide and a wave pool to get to, man. (laughs) Well, don't hit it all at once. (laughs) And I'm sure glad this is audio and not television. Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thanks, Russell. You bet. And again, that was Russell Nimitz with the Western Ag Network joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Just a shout out to them and his other broadcast partners, Lane Nordland, Haley Ship, for all the work they do covering agriculture news, both through radio and television. Uh, 72 radio stations that they have in their network in Colorado, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, and Wyoming. WesternAgNetwork.com is where you can go to find out, find their information. Also to tune in to their daily video and audio uh, podcasts or shows that they have as well. And also just might shout out real quick to all the other folks that are associated with uh, delivering farm and ranch news to folks all across the country. The National Association of Farm Broadcasters Association was a an organization I was a member of many years ago and, and respect a lot of those folks that are in that as they continue to provide a lot of relevant information to those of us here in the ranching industry. So just a shout out to them as well. And again, thank you to my guest today, Mr. Russell Nimitz here on the Western Ag Network. Stay with us when we come back. Meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which Gain Smart Mineral formula is right for your herd, visit gainsmart.com. 
And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we turn now and take a look at our long-term weather and joining us, as he does each and every week, is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, there's a lot of, of course, weather things we're going to be talking about here today. But first, we talked a little bit about it last week, and that is the fact of the pretty rapid decay of La Nina. In fact, as we were talking off air, kind of joking about the fact that it's pretty much, we can say that it's dead, buried, gone, covered up the grave. In fact, grass will start growing on La Nina here pretty soon. Yeah, we, we've done all of our eulogies. We can say it's done. We are really past the point of no return as uh, the last three weeks, the the Pacific Ocean near the equator west of South America, stretching out halfway across the Pacific has warmed rather dramatically. And, and that'll happen when you're kind of on the edge and the fact that also this time of year, that sun's beating down on the equator pretty hard right now and, and warming things up. Even though it's not warming up in many other areas, it is down there. And and that's going to be playing a role this spring. We we have talked many times during this podcast that timing is everything. Uh, when, when you leave the La Nina state and go into the neutral state before you go to a, an El Nino, and that if it can happen during at least the early parts of spring, that bodes well for the later half of spring to be more wet. And I'm talking about more wet for the West, the Central, and more importantly, those Southern Plains areas that need precipitation. This is all good news. Now, the response from the atmosphere to these changes, there's always a delay. It does, the atmosphere doesn't respond right away. But I am expecting over the next three to six weeks, things to to, to be very busy coast to coast. And some of those areas that are dry right now, we're, we're really hoping that this pattern change could at least get them some needed precipitation. And I'm especially in some of those central and Southern Plains areas. Mm-hmm. Well, last week I thought it was interesting. I was watching one of your video podcasts and you were looking at the 10 day forecast and really noticing that really this coming week as we stare into the first days of spring that we are gonna see abnormally cold temperatures across all of the U.S. and in the course in the last several weeks or last couple months, it's kind of been abnormally dry in the southeast and wet and cold in the west and, and northern tier of the country. But this coming week, we are going to see that majority of the of the country, really all of the country, is going to be in a colder, wet uh, forecast. Yeah, there's really nowhere in the United States on the first day of spring on the twentieth that is going to have anything remotely spring-like. In fact, we've had hard freezes in parts of the southeastern United States this week. And, you know, we always talk about uh, March. We start to see more in the way of severe weather across the country. There's usually an uptick. You know, we get more severe thunderstorms in the south. We start to see an uptick in tornado activity. Well, it's so cool (laughs) that uh, we're really seeing that being suppressed because of the fact that it's colder than average. Now, eventually that's going to a change, but for the last half of March into early April, most of the lower 48 states is going to see spring delayed. Uh, and even in parts of the South, uh, we're, we're after some warm winter temperatures, the spring is going to end up being cool. Mm-hmm. Don, before we went on air here, you and I were chatting a little bit about all of the fog weather events that I have marked out in my calendar for the month of April. And so my question is, is do you see that same instability across other portions of the U.S., especially in light of the fact, as we were talking about the very front of the program, that we pretty much dead, buried and gone La Nina. And so does that signal that we're going to see some significant weather for the month of April across portions of the country. Yeah. One interesting year, you know, we talk about analog years. Mm -hmm. Um, One observation we made in the year 2013 was, is we, we, in 2011 and 2012, we were in a, in, in the, in the midst of a pretty strong La Nina and it began to fade in early 2013, kind of like it's doing now in early 2023. And what we saw then was that, Uh, the precipitation started slow in March, at least in the central and west central United States, but April and May really got to it. So there's some similarities to the the year and spring of 2013. So while March has mainly been impacting the northeast, the north, and the far west, 
maybe the central areas of the United States are going to see the, the stormier weather come April into May. Okay, well, there's no question they could sure use the moisture. Don, again, thanks for joining us here with a look at our long-term weather. We sure appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with our weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. From there, you can find a link to his daily video podcast. That's part of my usual morning activities is kind of get caught up on that. You can find his daily video podcast that he kicks out every Monday through Friday morning through his website at dayweather.com. Stay with us. We're going to put a wrap on this week's show when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Dayweather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Dayweather weather journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. As we head out here today, I I always like to leave you with some of the topics that we are working on. It takes a little bit of time to put some of these together, and we're always working behind the scenes to try to get some of this going. Uh, Last week, I made a comment in regards to the Society for Range Management kicking out a program called Good Grazing Makes Sense. And uh, we're reaching out with those folks. Uh, I'd like to uh, give a little bit more information on that and be able to share that with you all as our listeners. And so we're working with those folks to to bring you a story on Good Grazing Makes Sense, that program that recently come out of the Society for Range Management's annual conference that they had recently in Boise, Idaho. Also a a topic, and we talked a little bit about it today on animal traceability, but the Canadian cattle industry has had to deal with uh, animal traceability for quite some time, and I want to know kind of how that's working for them up there as we're working with the Canadian Cattlemen's Association on an interview with them to uh, get a little bit more light on the subject from their perspective so uh, that is a topic we're working on and also something that I talked a little bit about last week that we're working on is to know a little bit more about the Iowa cattle industry from time to time I think it's important that we just kind of get to different parts of the country and we find out about their cattle industry its heritage and what it means to our current industry as well and no doubt the uh, the Iowa cattle industry is very important to our overall ranching industry here in in the country as well so we're working with folks to get an interview and a little bit uh, to know a little bit more about that so those are some of the topics that we're working on here on the working ranch radio show and if you have an idea for a show topic or any questions you might have please feel free to reach out to me my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com or you can also send me a text at 307-363-COWS that's 307-363-COWS quick thank you to our sponsors today the working ranch radio show the American Simmental Association. It's more per head period. Find out more at Simmental.org. And New Generation Supplements. They've got a tub for that. To find out more, go to NewGenSupplements.com. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. And if you don't have your subscription started and you want to know why many America's Ranchers turn towards this magazine for a lot of very relevant information and uh, topics that are useful to them, I'd encourage you to get your subscription started today. It's simple. You can go to workingranchmag.com and you can get started. Now, for those of you that have your subscription already, as we were talking earlier, as we heard from the captain, Tim O'Byrne, who is publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, the next issue is in print. In fact, it's going to be headed out to your mailbox, so be sure to be looking for that. I'm looking forward to, uh, to it as well, as there are very, very good topics that are, every issue has in terms of stories that are relevant and timely for the time of year that we're going to be going into. So I encourage you to go check that out as well. Again, also something else as do you follow us on social media? Because if not, uh, there's a lot of posts that they put out there, a lot of good back and forth response that we hear from different producers across the country. So check us out on social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, we'll be there. So be sure to find us there. Well, be sure to join us next week at this same time, same place or on your favorite podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.